Amen, amen. Hey, if you want to begin to open up your Bible to Matthew 28, we're going to be at verses 16 through 20, and then looking at some different uh, satellites from there. And so it is good to be back with y'all. So thankful for Brad. I mean, Joel uh, filling in last week and, and opening up our identity series. And so as Joel said, each year uh, we take an opportunity to, to kind of go back through and refresh what it is and what it looks like for each of us to engage in our identity series with the idea that we want to, as a body of believers, we want to help people to grow, uh, we want to help people to serve, and we want ultimately to see people go. And so we say that we grow Christ followers who serve in their giftedness and go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this week we have an opportunity uh, to take, to pause, to reflect, and to ask the question of, how am I serving, and what does it look like for me to be served, and what does it look like for me to serve? And so that's the question uh, before us today. Let us read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and then reflect on that. Matthew writes and says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you let me pray for us once again? Father, we thank you that as we gather in this place, uh, we do so. In the name of the triune God, we do so in the power and authority of the Father. We do so by the blood of the Son. We do so by the undergirding and support of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that your Spirit would flow freely through this place, that you would lift us up, that you would cause to come to mind sin that we have yet to repent of, yet to confess to you, that we would be broken and ready to be healed. God, we pray that as your spirit is at work and stirring in this place, that hardened hearts would be softened, that the dead flesh in us would be made alive, that those sins we find ourselves readily engaging in would be uh, just completely repugnant and disgusting to us, that you would call us from death to life once again. Father, we pray for those who have yet to submit themselves to walk in the light, to walk in the truth, to come to know Jesus, that today would be the day that you take out the deadness of their heart and you give them a heart that beats for you and for you alone. Father, as we gather in this place, we're reminded that there are other churches meeting across this community and across this world, and we want to see them on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the ways that you have allowed us to partner with the other churches of our community. And God, I pray that today as their pastors stand in the pulpit, that they would be men on fire burning before their people. That you would set a fire in their people's hearts. That you would set a fire in the churches of our community. And that we would burn brightly for the gospel. God, we ask that you would give us a passion to pour ourselves out for you. We want nothing left. We want to hold on to nothing. So would you give us the grace to walk in that? Would you give us the strength to desire that? And would you make everything else in our life seem weak, terrible, and pathetic before you? Let our hearts beat for you and for you alone. God, we pray for those who are serving on the mission field. We pray for them in their gospel conversations that you would uh, impact the culture that they are seeking to engage mightily for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a sinner comes to know 
Jesus, a miracle has occurred. They have been snatched out of the hands of Satan, out of the horde of hell, and transplanted, transferred into the kingdom of light. God, that is our request. Globally, that is our request for our families, for our friends, for our children. That is our request for everybody we, we know who does not name the name of Jesus. So God, would you call us out of complacency this morning as we have an opportunity to look at what it looks like to worship you in service? Would you call us out of complacency, out of the mundane, out of the ordinary, out of the rote? Would you call us into wonder to discover and behold your beauty and to be captivated by it? Make change occur in our hearts. Make change occur in our lives. Do something different in us than we've experienced before by the power of your Spirit. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is there. He's, he's, he's at the end of his earthly ministry. He's gathered the eleven together. They're on this hill together. And, and what we behold in these few verses is something truly transitional and amazing. Because what we see there is Jesus is beginning a transition for what would be their model of ministry. And even within this, we see the mixture of doubting and worshipers, right? And so Joel kind of hit on this idea, but, but into this mixture of, of, of doubters and making them into worshipers, notice that when he says to this close group of followers, he begins with a statement of, of his authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Essentially, he looks at the worshiper and he says, you do well to worship me because I rule and reign as the sovereign of the universe. And so the worshiper finds themselves coming to Jesus, being upheld by Jesus, and saying that this guy has all authority, I will give my worship to him. Then he turns to the doubters, and he says, in me, your doubt will find a place of confidence, not because you're going to grow in it, because in me, you will find one who rules and reigns as the sovereign king of the universe. He rules and he reigns, and Jesus takes doubters and he makes them into worshipers. Amen? This is what we need. He needs to take us who have this fire inside us that's just smoldering and weak, and he needs to lead it to become an inferno by the power of his spirit. Amen? This is what he delights to do in our service. Too many times I feel that in our service, what we really want is something ordinary, something concrete. I want a, a set of five or six steps whereby if I just step into this, I'm already uncomfortable, but I'm progressing along the six steps someone has given me. What he wants for us instead is that we would leap from step one all the way to step six by the power of his spirit. This is what he's calling us to do. Do you see the difference? One is orderly and neat, and it is just so incredibly, oh, calm. But it's so incredibly easy, and it's so incredibly safe. But on the other hand, it finds us going to God and saying, God, by the power of your spirit, in what ways would you call me to serve? In what ways would you call me to be? And it finds us sitting back here, back in square zero, shaking and just thinking, I hope he doesn't call me to something extreme. I hope he doesn't call me to something wild. What if he does? What if he would? What would it look like for us as a church of people to set our hearts freely before him, to lay them on the ground and say, God, I don't care what you have before me. I'm willing to go and I'm willing to serve. 
I'm not asking you to keep me comfortable. I'm not asking you to keep me safe. I'm not asking you to keep me healthy. God, I'm not asking you to make me wealthy because I'm not already. But God, I'm not asking anything from you. All I want is to give all of me to you. And what I want from you is you to show me when I'm lying to myself, when I'm believing I'm giving all of me to you, but really all I'm doing is holding back the majority of me from you. What I'm really doing is giving enough of me to feel obedient, to feel satisfied, but I'm holding on to enough of me to feel safe. He wants us to serve him with our whole heart. And in reality, as we read through the Gospels, we recognize he has all of our hearts. You see, it's on the basis of Christ's authority that he then commissions his followers and he sends them out in the power and authority of the triune God, making mature followers of Jesus Christ and calling them to identify themselves with him in baptism for the cause of Christ. His promise to them is his abiding presence as they go forth in obedience. And that's what Justin's going to lead us to examine next week. What does it look like for us to go forward in having gospel conversations? What does it look like for us to go forward to the nations? But check this, not alone. As we go forward, we go forward in the power and the unity of the triune God, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and his Son, all going with us. You talk about a group to roll with? Like, this is a group, when we walk up, there should be no fear, there should be no panic in us, because we come in the power and the authority of the triune God. But when it comes to the idea of service, which is what we look at today, we have to come to this understanding that just as he takes doubters and makes them worshipers, so too he takes the lackluster, so too he takes the one who, who, who just inwardly just detests service and he works us into his kingdom and he does it primarily in four ways one of the first things he wants us to recognize is that that service is worship so we have this idea that service is worship we have the idea that service reveals the king it builds the church and that it is for everyone but let us begin with the idea that service is worship or rather service is worshipful Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul writes, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So we come into this and, 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 and recognize that, that if we are going to be honest, if we're going to honestly assess the variety, the, the, the mainstay of what our service looks like. I think we have a tendency to approach it much like we do our jobs. Much like we do our jobs. A, a, a great number of us, when we first began to enter into the workforce, we're entering into our jobs, we were loving it. And it really didn't matter what you do, whether you were George Jetson in there and you're just pushing the button and making cogs or whatever it was, you're like, I'm pushing the button again. Like, you were excited. I'm mopping. I've got the figure eight going. I'm dusting. I'm sweeping, rather, and I'm pulling it here. I learned that from Carlos Broussard at Como High School back in 95. And so, like, this is how to sweep without generating dust. So whatever it was, you had a delight in this because it was new and it was a different experience than you had before but after a while you're like if i have to mop one more floor that some punk kid spit on i may just have to i may just have to and like you're you're speaking like demonic tongues there like you don't even know it becomes drudgery it becomes mundane it becomes this thing that you no longer take joy and delight in it becomes this thing that you just think 
Every day is a Monday. Every day is painful. Every day is sorrowful. Every day is the same stinking thing over and over again. I draw, I hammer, I sweep, I clean up, I heal, I counsel, I wipe mouths, I wipe bottoms, or whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you. And it becomes mundane. Essentially, we've gone from this vibrant experience of reality and life to placing ourselves on this track whereby we can't turn to the left and we can't turn to the right. We're in this trolley car that's locked in this path and only knows how to progress towards death. And there's no thought that occurs to us that our work should be worship. There's no thought that occurs to us that our worship should not exist solely in this place, that it should go everywhere with us, and that all of our lives are meant to be lived as what? A, everybody say, living. A living sacrifice. You see, there's this idea that when they would come into the temple and they would offer a sacrifice, they would offer as a sacrifice something dead. So they would take the dove, they would take the pigeon, they would take the lamb, they would take the bull, the calf, and it would die. But what we are meant to live isn't a dying sacrifice. What we are meant to live is a vivified, living, day in and day out sacrifice. My life should be constantly being poured out for him and for his glory. So this means Mondays in staff meeting as I'm caffeinating. Get me? As I'm caffeinating and I'm waking up. I should be engaging in an aspect of worship. But most of us, when we wake up in the morning, if you're a coffee addict, and that's okay, that's a good thing, but what you do, your first 45 minutes, you're just mindless. You are lobotomized. You wake up, your eyes aren't really open, you stumble into the kitchen, you fumble with a cup, hopefully you have a coffee pot that that has already brewed coffee for you. If you don't, we will pray for you, we will take up a love offering for you, but you fix that cup of coffee. You bring it close because you know it loved you. Right? You begin to, mm, you sip, it's delicious goodness. Let me just have a moment with my coffee, y'all. <laughs> and you just kind of fumble through your day, and one thing turns to the next, it turns to the next. And before you know it, your day is over and you're driving home. Wash, rinse, and repeat. But what we have an opportunity to do is those who serve a king is to engage in our work as a vibrant, beautiful act of worship. This requires our awareness and engagement. This requires an intentionality that does not allow us to lobotomize ourselves. This requires an intentionality that looks as people and conversations as opportunities to glorify God. This looks at our work as a metric of our faithfulness to him. Are we working to show ourselves as a workman approved Are we working to the delight of our king? Are we using all of our ingenuity? Are we using all of our skills? Are we using all of our brain? Are we using all of our emotions to honor and glorify him? Are we doing this in our schools? Are we doing this in our place of... Or are we merely going through life, going through these responses, waiting for something more enjoyable to come along? You see, if you spend your life waiting for something more enjoyable to go along, and maybe that's what you're doing right here, right now, You're not worshiping the king. Worship isn't singing. Worship is a style of life that allows us in hardship, in joy, in pain, in what we would call drudgery, to turn it over to our king 
and to tell him, I want my heart to cry out to you in the middle of this, and I want to worship you, and I want it to be said that my worship, that my work, that my ethic before you is holy and acceptable to you, because what I'm giving you here is an act of surrender. It's not calm, it's not ordinary, it is sacrificial, and it is beautiful. Amen? You see, just as service is worshipful, service also reveals our king. Do you notice what Jesus said in chapter 28 and verse 20 of Matthew? He said, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. So there's this aspect of the disciple service that as they go out, what they're meant to be doing is engaging in instruction. And these were men and these were women. These were people that Jesus had been pouring himself into and saying, this is how you grow followers of me. This is how you move them along. This is how you channel and kind of get them to grow in their faith, in their understanding of who I am and what I'm calling them to do. And we see this simplified, we see this kind of brought all into one statement in the midst of Jesus' conversation with a lawyer who had asked him in Luke 10, teacher, what must I do then to inherit eternal life? So Jesus turns to him and says, I don't know, how do you read the law? And the guy says in Luke 10, 27, I need to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I need to love my neighbor as myself. So Jesus answers, Jesus responds and says, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. See, worship reveals our king. Or rather, service reveals our king. This idea that this lawyer had taken from Deuteronomy 6.5 and and Leviticus 19.18 communicates first and foremost to us that we are not the, everybody say king. We're not the king. No, you, you say, Matt, why would you make this point? This seems to be obvious. And I'm just telling you, according to the way that the majority of us live our lives, that this is not obvious. If it's obvious, then you're obviously living in disobedience to it. It's not obvious to very many of us that we are not the king. And what we see over and over and over again is us moving towards the throne of our hearts, planting our backside in ever-increasing measure onto said throne... And saying, I rule and reign in limited fashion. Sovereign of nothing. Ruler of nothing. Jesus comes into the throne room of our hearts and we can see him over and over again saying, you're in my chair. We temporarily get up, we step out of the chair, we let Jesus assume his rule and reign over our lives. But in honesty, many of us begrudge his placement there. It is through implicit actions and explicit speech that we reveal our king. As you go about working and as you go about worshiping him in your work, and people observe you, they're able to make judgments on the nature and nature and manner of your work, the intensity of your work, how you speak to those around you, how you speak to your spouse, how you speak to your children, how you respond to your parents says something about your submission to Jesus. Your attitudes towards your bosses, your attitudes towards politicians, your attitudes toward good days and bad days, it says something about your submission and your worship of Jesus. And that's a hard reality to take in. 
That when I find myself out and I'm engaging and I've just been cut off in traffic and I, 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 I blew out a tire and, and whatever else is going wrong, that in the middle of this, that how I act and how I respond says something about the posture of my heart to the king of the universe. Our service reveals the king. Somebody comes to you and says, so I heard you go to that church over there on uh, Wesley Street, or is it Stonewall? I'm not really sure. What do you, what do, you do there? Like, oh man, like, I, 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 go, I go a couple Sundays a couple times a year. Oh, really? Like, you're a member, though? Yeah. What is their, what is their level for assessing membership? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. That's a really good question. You should call them. You sound like you want to be a member there. What does it look like? What does service look like for you? If somebody could only know Jesus through your service, not just your service to Ridgecrest, but just your service to him as king. And let's just say, uh, just, just to kind of set this as a level, everything you do should be a service to Jesus as king. And the only way that someone can come to know Jesus is through how they view your service and how they view your service explicitly and implicitly. So what you're saying and what you're doing. What does that look like? That's a hard question for us to answer. Or maybe that's a hard question for us to face the answer of. And he loves you and he longs to see you serve him. God has placed people around you. He's moving people in and out of your life so that you could impact them, so that you, through your service, might reveal the king to them. He's made you a worshiper. He's made you a servant in his kingdom. And he's using your service to glorify him. And he's using your service to expand his kingdom. And recognize this, service builds the church. Service builds the church. Certainly numerically, we come into this understanding that as we serve, it, it, it requires people. As I stand here on the stage, I'm reminded a number of times, for whatever reason, in my first two or three years, that we had to get this insanely heavy lift onto the stage. And Jay Beauchart would always stand and just say, hey, if there's anybody available after the service, we need to get this lift up on the stage, and you talk about you want to clear this room out? It's only the young people who desire to have hernias in their future that hung around. And so what you get there is all these people would kind of get over and they'd ratchet the belt tighter and they, you know, just kind of pull it in, tuck it in, strap it in. And they would get there and they'd lift this thing and set it up on the stage. But that wasn't my favorite. My favorite piece of thing that we moved in here is this dreaded uh, instrument right here. Now listen, if you're looking at this organ and you think, how are we going to move this thing? Let me, just, let me just spoil this, Okay. You take this larger-than-life panel off with an assortment of screws, and then uh, handles come out. There's a handle right about here, and it comes out right about this far, and it's about this, and it's about this thick. And there's a, there's, a, there's a matching handle on that side. Presumably, they thought Hercules attended any church that thing was ever set up in, and uh, he had a twin. There are two real handles on this goofy thing. And so sometimes you'd have to get there, and you're like, what, do I, what, do I, what am I going to do this? And so then you have the people down there who care nothing for their fingers, and they put their fingers underneath there, and they're like, please, 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 I can't do this again. See, it builds the church because it requires our cooperation. It requires us to work hand in hand together, overcoming obstacles that would be too difficult for any of us to overcome, to encounter on our own. 
Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said this in verse 7. He said, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the, everybody say, common good. He said, look, uh, the, the Holy Spirit gave you gifts so that you could serve other people. It's for the common good. In verse 11, he said, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. So it's not just that God looked down on any church, any group of Christians and said, okay, I'm going to give them an assortment of gifts. It's just kind of this uh, charcuterie board of gifts. It's just kind of this potpourri of gifts. I'm just going to throw them out there and see what lands on any given person. Because you see, what God did is so much more beautiful, so much more precise. He looked at you. He looked at your heart. He knew your life experiences, and he entrusted to you a specific, solid gift. Because what he knew about you is that you would marry this person. And what he knew about you is that you would be in a church who had this need. And what he knew about you is this need would have the tendency to create a certain kind of pride in you, but he's going to perfectly match that with somebody over here who has a gift to match your pride. He's building the church. He's building the church. So just imagine if we're, if we're building a church and all of us become vital, necessary ingredients, instruments, tools, pieces of equipment for said church, but some of us don't want to be engaged. What does that mean? It means it's going to be really difficult for us to be successful. You create a hole when you don't serve. You don't just create a hole when you don't serve. You create a hole that you were purposed to fill. Do you see the difference there? It's like everybody said, let's go out and play, uh, let's go out and play basketball. How many people do we need on the court? We need five on the court. Okay, but we don't want to have to run the whole time, so let's have 10 on the team so we can, we can rotate people in and off. We can keep some fresh legs on the court. We're over 40. We can't do that <laughs> anymore. Somebody said, man, I don't get to play very much. I'm not going to come. All of a sudden, we're down to four people. Four people? We're going to get crushed. We're already going to get crushed because we have weak knees, weak backs, and we can't shoot. But we're going to get crushed even worse now. This is the problem we create in the church when people don't serve. See, it's patently obvious for us. When we look at a sports team, it's patently obvious for us. If you drive by, I drove by a house the other day, and there were two guys framing this house, and I felt so sorry for them because it was cold and it was miserable. But they're working a perfect concert with one another. This is how he's created us to be. We are perfectly dependent upon one another. And we are perfectly matched to work well and irritate the snot out of each other. Like one of those we get a whole lot more than the other, right? The reason God has purposed that, that, that Jordan irritates me and that I irritate Trevor and Trevor irritates Robert and Robert irritates everybody, let's just be honest, is because we need each other. We need to be knocking the rough edges off of each other. We need to be bolstering one another. We need to be encouraging one another. You need to be building up me. I need to be building up you. And we need to be building up us. Service builds the church. Check this out. Service is for everyone, including you. 
service is for everyone. And I think this is something we get. But service requires, it needs you as well. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are, speaking of God, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, everybody say, good works. We are created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the amazing thing. Before anything, before everything, God purposed that there would be activities, that there would be uh, jobs, that there would be something for you to do. And he set this aside perfectly tailored for you and your skill set. And then along comes his Holy Spirit and salvation. He gives you the gift to allow you to complete the work that he set up and established for you. Oftentimes I get asked the question, Pastor, what can I do? What is there for me to do? I just don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I like to do. This is the amazing thing. Before the foundations of the world, God has set aside and created something for you to do. There is something for you and only you to do. There's something for you and only you to engage. But as we consider the idea of service, as we consider what this might look like, we find ourselves breaking up into a variety of categories. We find ourselves first and foremost, I think, in this group that the idea of serving feels so incredibly overwhelming. It feels so incredibly daunting. In fact, you feel, as you hear me say that service needs you and that service is worshipful, worshipful and service reveals the king and service builds the church, in whatever ways you're mishearing me, that you feel oppressed, you feel overwrought, you feel burdened, and you are simply put angry and put out. It's because in this season of your life, the service you need to provide is your willingness to be served. I was reflecting on, on, on 2021, and I was just kind of thinking through 2021, and within the 12 months of 2021, I got COVID twice. I'm supremely unlucky. I ended 2020, ushered in 2021 with COVID, and I rang the New Year's with COVID again. In 2021, uh, you'll, many of you remember, I, I hurt my back in a pretty significant way. And I crawled around on all fours because I couldn't stand for a while. In 2021, I fractured four bones in my face simply being 40 and playing with my children. In my 40s, I'm 42. And in the middle of those things, I needed people. Those weren't things I could overcome on my own. Those weren't things I could best on my own. The first round of COVID, everybody thought everybody was going to die, and so everybody's uh, buying groceries and dropping them off half a mile away from your house. You have to wear 15 masks just to go get your groceries. Spraying Lysol like this the whole time you're walking. Ringing a bell saying, mm-hmm, you could hear it, but I've got all these masks. And we needed people. I got to the point in 2021 where I just recognized I, I, I got nothing left. I'm broken. I, I, I'm tired. I'm completely exhausted. I'm having conversations with the staff and conversations with the elders, and I'm just like, my tank is empty. There's nothing left for me to give. And, and, and this is not a strong suit for me. 
I was raised with the understanding that you work even if it takes the skin off of you, even if it takes the hide off you. You don't quit. We are not a group of quitters. And so when things got harder, I worked harder. When things got more difficult, I pushed harder. And when I pushed harder, people around me said, wow, he is really a difficult person. And it wasn't until I started going and talking to the elders and saying, I I need help. I'm broken and can't do this. I'm failing and struggling and can't do this. The role that God had for me to serve was one who needed to be served by others. And I hated it. Because it took confessing weakness. It took confessing need. And it required a measure of vulnerability. And that's not how I feel programmed and made. Some of you in here today, that's exactly where he has you. You're a young mom. You're exhausted. You need help. You're a student in school, and you feel overwhelmed by the pressures of of your peers, by the pressures of school, by the pressures and expectations of others, and you feel overwhelmed, and you need help. You're in a marriage that's struggling, and you need help. You're sick and aren't telling people around you because you don't want to be a burden to them. (laughs) Do you know this? God has specifically gifted someone else in this body to serve you in this time. Will you let us serve you? Some of us just need to be vulnerable and be willing to be served. Some of us simply put, the reason you don't serve is because you're selfish. You love your time, your time is yours, and you're not willing to give it to anybody else. And for you, and I would say that if this is your mindset, if this is your operation, and you escape service through giving money, or you escape giving money through giving time, or in whatever way you're escaping the sacrifice that God is putting before you, it's likely that what God wants from you is the thing that you're unwilling to give. If you are selfish, selfishness is sinful, God is calling you out of that. What would service look like that breaks the bind of selfishness in your heart? Some of us simply, we've never considered service. You've never considered that the God who created and spoke the universe into existence, who entrusted to you a specific tailor-made gift for you to be used for others, has an anticipation and a desire and a delight to see you serve. You see, when God sits in heaven and he sees you serve, to him it is beautiful. You may feel inarticulate. You may feel like you are fumbling through service. You may say, look, my service is just sitting beside somebody in a hospital. My service is just taking somebody a meal. My service is just sitting with someone while they cry. My service is just in whatever ways. My service is cleaning somebody's house when they're out of town. My service is being a listening ear and a calm and loving spirit. Yes. Yes, that's the gift that God has given you. Wouldn't you delight in exercising the gift that he's entrusted to you and called you to walk in? Wouldn't you delight in your heavenly father being able to look down and to smile and to rejoice at the beauty of what it looks like for you to exercise the gift that he has made for you and you alone to exercise? God has given you this. Some of us in here, men, you are serving faithfully. 
And my encouragement to you is that you would continue to serve faithfully. I was thinking about uh, Jordan's comment when he was doing the, the panel interview earlier. When he said, some of you have incredible networks of family. You have moms, you have dads, you have people and friends and family around to support you. So you don't feel like you need to be engaged in a small group because you already have that network. And his encouragement was, yeah, you've already got that network. Be that network for someone else. That's service. <clears throat> That's service. Willing to take on a burden for someone else. Willing to sacrifice for someone else. And my, my heart's desire, my prayer for us is that we would be a church who serves. I've been here nine and a half years. I probably said this seven years ago. I want when another pastor in town calls me and says, do you have someone who can do this? Us to say, we, you know, we have half a dozen people who have the gift of charity. We're going to send them to you pastor says, we just need somebody who, who specializes in this. We need somebody who has a heart like this, that we would be a church that's just sending people out to go and be in other churches. Because that's how bent we are on service. Imagine what it would look like if that's what our hearts look like. That's what we look like in, in reality. We'd be a people on fire. We'd be people consumed with honoring and glorifying our king serving him in worship, revealing him in our service, building our church and building the churches of our community, and it would require each and every one. Maybe you came in today, and the idea of service sounds really appealing to you, but in your heart you recognize you don't actually know the king. Jesus has this amazing word for you in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you don't know Jesus today, Jesus delights in having you come to know him. God who took on flesh, who came and lived a perfectly sinless life, who died taking on himself the penalty and the punishment for your sin, for your waywardness, complacency, independence, or in whatever ways you find yourself moving away from God's drawing. Jesus died for those things. And by the power of God's Spirit, he was raised again. And in his resurrection, he wants you to come worship him. And he wants to remove the stain, the sting, the penalty, and the punishment for sin from you through his love. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your gifts, for your kindness, for your love for us. God, we pray first for those who do not know your son Jesus, that they would come to know him. That in knowing Jesus, they would know peace, they would know forgiveness, they would know the warmth of his embrace. God, you are good and you do good. Father, I pray for those of us in this room that as we're considering what it looks like for us to serve, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that you would be just stirring in us a desire to honor and glorify you in our service. Some of us are serving not in our giftedness, but we're serving in a spot provided. I pray that we would have the courage to surrender those things, to create a vacancy so that the person that you have created to serve in those spots might 
and that we might turn and serve in our giftedness, glorifying you in the ways you have made us to be. God, we surrender these things to you. We entrust all these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.